We'll wait for you, Kevin. No problem. We'll wait. Take your time, buddy. Don't worry about it. I'm glad that you guys like to linger in those hallways and talk to each other in the aisleways. It's a very good thing. Good morning. We are going to look at the last two of the seven letters to the seven churches and then the opening chapters of Revelation. Um, but what I just want you to uh, uh, hear is we're going to take a little bit of time this morning to uh, step back and reflect over what we've heard throughout the course of this series. Uh, what is God saying to you? What is God saying to us as a church? What is God saying to you as an individual? Uh, so I just want to give you kind of a heads up that that's coming. Um, and before we jump into the, the message, I would like us to just take a little bit of time to pray for Turkey. Uh, I don't know if you guys have connected the dots, but um, all of the ancient cities that we've been learning about are located in modern-day Turkey. Uh, as you know, they have uh, experienced a horrific uh, earthquake. Uh, the last count that I saw was more than 28,000 people have been killed, um, which is just hard to even fathom. Um, so I just think it would be great if we just took a couple minutes and just prayed uh, for Turkey and, of course, Syria as well. So, Lord, we just uh, we confess our limitations when it comes to prayer. I don't really know how to pray. Uh, it is overwhelming to even think about uh, that kind of... Uh, it's, just, it's just hard to even wrap my brain around that much loss. Um, the prayer I've been praying the last couple of days is, your kingdom come and your will be done in Turkey, as it is in heaven. And Lord, we know that you have this ability to bring redemption out of crisis, to make the darkest of hours um, turn, and uh, we pray that the small church in Turkey would take root through this, and that the gospel would spread, and that as people are um, realizing their own mortality, that they would look to the living God the only one who can truly offer peace and hope and eternity. So we ask that your gospel would go forward in a powerful way. Pray for those in our body who have friends in Turkey, family in Turkey, that uh, they would be comforted as well. Help us to know how to step into this chaos in a way that uh, honors you and brings glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I want you to grab your Bibles. We're going to look at um, Revelation chapter 3. We're going to start reading verses 7 through the end of the chapter. Uh, if you're using the Bibles under your seat, we're on page 1029. If you're using your journals, and if you're new at Grace today and you're like, what's a journal? We sell a Revelation journal, which basically has uh, one page of, of the scriptures and then one blank page for you to take notes. They're only $5. You can get them at the information counter. But if you're using your journal, we are on page 16. I have asked Stacy Jakir. Why do I keep stumbling over that? I've only known you for like 30 years. Stacy Jakir is coming up, and she is going to share our passage with us today. Uh, if you don't mind, stand while she is reading. And here's my request. Listen for the invitations from God as she reads. Okay. A reading from Revelation, chapter 3, verses 7 through 22. To the church in Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, 
who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that the Jews are not, but lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of God and the name of the city of God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and may own my and may own new name <laughs> sorry he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to the church of laodicea and to the angel of the church in laodicea write the words of the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of god's creation i know your works you are neither cold nor hot would that you either were either cold or hot so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold i will spit you out of my mouth for i say i am rich i have prospered and i need nothing not realizing that you are wretched pitiable poor blind and naked i counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may wear, may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers... I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Revelation. Thank you for uh, this opportunity we have to dive in, go deeper. Our prayer this morning is the same as our prayer last week and the week before, that we would leave different than we came because we have encountered the living God. I thank you, Lord, that you are a personal God, that you are a God who sees us corporately, but you see us individually, uh, that you care about every aspect of our lives, and that you are willing to speak if we are willing to listen over and over through these letters. Those who have an ear, let them hear, Lord. Let us have an ear to hear. Attune our hearts and our minds to you. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. To the church in Philadelphia. I find this to be, of the seven letters, the one that's most encouraging to me anyway as I read through it. Uh, It is just a a beautiful, beautiful letter. It's no rebuke. Uh, just words of sweet affirmation from Jesus. 
Uh, I want to give you just a little bit of a background on the city of Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia as a city was founded strategically and placed strategically to take the Greek language and the Greek customs into the heart of the continent. It was actually, if you think about it, in essence, established as a missionary city. Now, it was a missionary city, again, to take the Greek influence into the continent. But what encourages me about this particular letter is the verse 8. So just look at it. It says, I know you have but little power. Just let that sink in for a second. I know you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Little power. You got to ask yourself, what does that mean? Is it, is it the fact that they were tired of the persecution they were experiencing that the letter talks about? Were they, were they worn out by all the persecution? Was it a small church that was, that was under-resourced? And the answer is, yeah, all of the above. But what we need to see is Jesus is telling them, I know you have little power or perceive that you have little power, but it really doesn't matter. Look what he says. I know you, you don't think you have enough strength, but he says, behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. The small church in a small city of Philadelphia is called to take the gospel into the heart of the continent. God has opened the door. And because God has opened the door, they will be successful. Really, nothing can deter their success except their own unwillingness or their own disobedience to the mission. And what I want you to hear this morning is, is, is kind of the challenge because how often do we refuse the invitations from God because we think we don't have what it takes? Like we think that we're too inexperienced or we think we're too weak or we think we don't know all the answers. Like what if somebody asked me a question? I know you want me to talk to my friend at school about Jesus. I, I know you want me to talk to my coworker. I know you've even told me that you want me to have more conversations with my neighbors. But what if they ask a question and I, and I don't know the answer? I just don't know enough. I'm not, I'm not called to do that. I'm not gifted enough to do that. And, and the message from this passage is if God has opened the door, no one can shut it. And it's really not about you and, and about your gifting. and it's about, it's about the Spirit of God moving to Philadelphia. There's no rebuke, right? They're commended and they're encouraged. And then in verse 11, it says, hold fast to what you have. And he says, if you hold fast, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple. I'm going I'm to give you, it's, it's this portrait of, of strength and security, now, Philadelphia as a city was actually located on a fault line. Now, not, this isn't where the epicenter of the, the earthquakes had just happened in Turkey, but Philadelphia was known for its consistent earthquakes. And so here we have this picture that Jesus is using a metaphor that every person in Philadelphia reading would have easily related to. What he's saying is nothing can shake your place in my house. You will stand strong, right? There's this intentional play on words. You may feel weak, but I am going to make you a pillar of strength. This is one of the paradoxical truths of Scripture. When we are weak, 
he is strong. Or said differently, and I love this, Paul is writing and, and he says, when I am weak, I am strong. At first glance, this does not make any sense at all. It seems counterintuitive. But what Paul is saying, when I realize I don't really bring anything to the table, that it's not really about my gifts, it's not really about my talent, it's not really about my education, it's not really about my credentials. When I finally realize that it's not about me and it's all about you, when I recognize how weak I am, then and only then are you, God, able to be strong. It's not about your Gifts. It's not about the fact they might ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. It's about the fact that if God opens the door, no one can shut it. So he goes on, right? And, and the church in Philadelphia is one thing, and, and it's this beautiful picture, and, and you read it, and it's encouraging. But then there's the church in Laodicea. I thought about titling my message, The Tale of Two Cities, but somebody already stole that title, right? And, and Philadelphia becomes this model for us to emulate. Read it and say, I want to be like Philadelphia. I want that letter written to me and written to this church. But Laodicea, not so much. Look at verse 16. He says, so, because you are lukewarm, Neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I think it's fascinating that I think of the seven letters, this is probably the most recognized of the seven letters. I'd say probably if you grew up in the church like I did, I've heard this lukewarm thing uh, hundreds and hundreds of times. But I wonder if we ever really stopped and contemplated, what's the why behind what Jesus is saying? Why would he say because you are lukewarm. And just so you know, he says neither hot nor cold. That word hot and that word cold could have easily been translated freezing cold and boiling hot. He is making this clear distinction of, of two extreme ways of being. Either you are on fire for Jesus or you are all in a, by all intents and purposes an atheist, as far from Jesus as you can be. But why would he say, I would rather you be burning hot or freezing cold than to be lukewarm. At first glance, when I started studying this a couple weeks ago, I started to think about my own kids. And, and while I'm glad my kids are walking with Jesus, but, but I think I would rather they be lukewarm than freezing cold. Like at least then they're still thinking about Jesus, right? They're still hovering around the Jesus idea. If they're, if they're ice cold, like it doesn't make much sense at first glance, but here's the reason. Here's the problem. There is little or nothing that can be done with someone who is lukewarm. If you are cold, if you are atheistic, if you are, have completely turned your back on anything about Jesus and God, then, then the gospel has the power to wake you up. Right? If you are far from God, whether you know it or not, if you pay attention, there is a longing in your spirit for something more. Right? You know that something, there's a restlessness, there's an unsettledness, and the gospel has the power to grab you and shake you out of that place. If you are stone cold, you are more likely to come to the place where you realize you're lost and you need Jesus. On the other hand, if you are on fire for Jesus, fully committed to Jesus, there's no limit to what he can do in you and through you. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say he can do more than you can even ask, think, or imagine, 
according to the power of the Spirit at work within you. But here's the problem. To be lukewarm is to be lost and not even know it. Right? It's to refuse help because you say to yourself, I'm fine. Right? It's the very picture of what Bryce talked about a few weeks ago of deadly self-deception. Look at what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, verse 17. It says, for I say to you, or you, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. A little bit of background about the city of Laodicea. It was a wealthy very wealthy, prosperous community. It was the center of medical advancement of that day. As a matter of fact, they had, inv- they had, had come up with a cream that was rubbed on people's eyes that would keep them from getting uh, eye diseases that would cause blindness, right? And this cream became very sought after and became a, a, a marketed for, for them to make profit on. The city was situated among three main highways, thoroughfares, so it was a center of, of economic uh, prosperous development, right? It was, it was also known for producing the finest black wool in the world, And while the city had all of this going for it, the city also had a serious water problem. There were springs in one direction that would bring cold water to the city, and there were hot springs, literal hot springs, that would also bring water to the city. And the two water sources would mix, and the water there was lukewarm, and it became a perfect breeding ground for all kinds of bacteria. As a matter of fact, the water source in the city was rancid full of problems. If you needed water, you had to go outside of the city, travel to the cold springs and bring your water back. So when Jesus talks about this idea of lukewarm, rancid water, the people would have understood exactly what he's saying. But they were still deceived. They still believed with all of their prosperity that they were fine. And here's the warning, the warning that should ring loud and hopefully ring clear. Money, economic success, can easily create the illusion of security. Right? You can be completely, this is what the pastors are saying, you can be completely lost. Right? You can be, be lost and not even know it. You can be wretched, poor, blind, naked, worthy of pity, and think, I'm fine. Right? You can be wretched, poor, blind, naked, worthy of pity, and say to yourself, look at all that I have. Look how God has has blessed me. Now, it's important that I point this out. There is nothing wrong with financial success as long as it does not get in the way of your understanding of your core need, your deepest need for Jesus as long as your success doesn't become your idol. Money, this is what, I hear this misquoted all the time. Money is the root of all evil. That's not what the passage says. Scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. When we make money an idol, all kinds of evil ensues. And here's the deal, church. We would be foolish to think that we are immune 
to the trappings of wealth that's all around us. We have to be on guard, right? We have to be on guard from self-deception. We have to, we have to ask ourselves, ask Jesus, show me if my success has become an idol. God, show me if I have more security in my bank account than I do in you. Right? And, and as brutal and hard as these words are, and, and it's tough when you read this. I mean, he's pretty disappointed with Laodicea. In the middle of this harsh letter, we still see a father and a God who is full of grace and mercy. He warns them about what he's about to do. He says, I will, future tense, if things don't change, if you don't figure this out, if you don't turn back to me in front, I will spit you out of my mouth. He is warning them of what's to come. Look at verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, real wealth, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself in, in the shame of your nakedness and may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I love that he says, I counsel you. You ever hear the counsel of God in your life when he's, he's instructing you and he's showing you, he says, I care about you, I love you, and I counsel you. He's inviting the church in Laodicea to find real wealth. Right? He's, he's telling them to, to wear white clothes that only Jesus can give them and to, and to get a salve from Jesus to give them spiritual eyesight. And then look what he says in verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I think we've sold this passage short in American Christendom. I grew up with this verse. It was always used as a salvation passage. Right? It's, it's the great evangelist closing line. Behold, God is standing at the door and knock. And if you haven't accepted Jesus, he wants to come in. And guess what? That is absolutely accurate. But it is so much more than that. He is inviting everyone in this room, even if you already know Jesus. He's standing at the door knocking and saying, would you lay down anything that hinders you being fully surrendered to me? I'm knocking at the door. Would you surrender? I want to come in and I want to eat with you. Or if you learned this as a kid like I did, I want to sup with you. And there is this beautiful picture in the, in the first century sharing a meal. It was a sign of intimacy. It was actually a sign of a covenant friendship. Jesus wants to have a covenant friendship with you. He's inviting you. He's inviting me. He's inviting our church into profound intimacy. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, eat with him, and he with me. I believe that these are the words that Jesus has been speaking to this church for the last several months. 
I don't know that I saw it then when we began the journey, but I see it clearly now as we have journeyed through the minor prophets over and over and over. We talked about this returning to God of repenting, of, of coming back to God with our whole hearts and all, all of the words of the prophecy. If you just if you just come to me with your whole heart, I will pour out my blessing on you. And then we did Romans where we saw the wages of sin and we saw the invitation to, to hold on to God, to be holy as, as God is holy. It was a beautiful picture of, of, of what did we keep saying through all Romans, like sin always has a cost. It never reaps a profit, right? There was this call to repent. And now we've spent these last few weeks looking at the letters from the church to the churches. And there is this clarion call for us to remember and to repent. Return to me with your whole heart. To confess our sins. Turn back to Jesus. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. There is an invitation for healing and wholeness waiting for you this morning. Several years ago, uh, my wife Meg, who was just up here with me a few minutes ago, was really sick. She had spent several months uh, literally incapable of leaving the house. She was so sick. And one morning as I was praying for Meg, God said to me, as clear as he's ever said anything to me, she will never get better unless you confess to her. You see, in the early years of our marriage, I had betrayed her. I'd sinned against her. I'd sinned against God. I'd sinned against our marriage vows. And God was saying to me, if you want Meg to get better, if you truly want Meg to get well, there can't be any more secrets. And it seemed counterintuitive. She was really sick, and going to her and confessing this was going to make things even worse for her, at least emotionally. And maybe you're even questioning the wisdom of this, or is it even possible? But let me share with you what James 5, 6 says. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. There is healing in confession. Now, I want to be clear. Theologically speaking, we don't only get sick because there's sin, but sometimes we are, right? And, and what God was making clear is I'd brought sin into my family. He was saying, until you confess it, we're not going to get through it. And so I confessed, and it began the healing that Meg and I needed. No more secrets. It began conversations that we had never had, and she began to get better. The moment of confession was hard. It was gut-wrenching, but it was the beginning of restoration, what I want you to hear this morning is there is power in confession and repentance. And God is crying out to us this morning, actually throughout these last several months. He's saying, I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. He says, even now, return to me with your whole heart. So what we're going to do this morning is we're actually going to open the door. As best we can, we are going to invite the Holy Spirit in and we're going to be zealous and we're going to repent. 
We're going to open our hearts and we're going to open our church to the intimacy that Jesus is offering. So for the next several minutes, I'm going to invite you to participate in a liturgy of confession. I just want you to know a liturgy is simply an order of service that's done in community. We've actually already practiced a liturgy. Every Sunday we actually have a liturgy. But somehow if you came out of a different background, a high church background, you might think differently about liturgy. But we are going to do a liturgy of confession. It's, it's, it's modeled for us in the Old Testament. The people would come together. They would practice a liturgy of confession. So it's a, it's a spiritual discipline that's been handed down to us for generations. A couple things. I don't want anyone to feel forced to do this. If you're new at Grace, if this is your first time and you just want to sit and take it in, I understand that. But I would tell you, God has something for everyone in this room. God has something for everyone online as we walk through this liturgy of confession. The other thing I want to make clear is I am not the intermediary. This is between us. I am participating in this with you. This is between us. This is between you and Jesus. You don't need me in the middle. I am just here to help guide us through this. So what's going to happen right now is the ushers are going to hand out the literary confession. So if you guys want to start handing out, they also have pens. There's going to be a moment where I give you some time to write. So if you want to just get these handed out, I'm going to give you a couple minutes. Everybody should have one of these. If you are online, this is also going to be on the slide so that you can follow along with us. I'd also encourage you while you're waiting, if you're online, to get a blank sheet of paper and a pen so that when we get to that part of it, you can write what you need to write as well. So I'm just going to give a couple minutes for the ushers to get everything handed out. Uh, Don't worry. You don't have to do anything with these sheets until I start. I'm going to lead you through this as your leader and your guide. So let's get those handed out. See, there's a couple of pens down here if somebody needs one. Make sure if you're in the balcony, you get one as well. Just wave them down if you still need one. I think they got people up there that are just handing out in the balcony. So here's the way this is going to work. Some of you grew up in a tradition of call and response. It's going to feel a little bit like that. I'm going to serve as a leader. I'm going to read a line where it says leader, and then you in unison are going to read aloud uh, the part that says all, and we're just going to walk through this slowly. There'll be some moments where we pause. I encourage you in those pauses to just pray to yourself, just to invite the Holy Spirit in and ask him to show you what he wants you to see, reveal what he wants to reveal. All right. Does everybody have one? You feeling good? All right. A liturgy of confession. We're going to start with a prayer of preparation. Father, 
we come to you. We come trembling. Let's just pause for a moment. Reflect. Pray that God would align your heart with his. corporate confession. We've done our best as we wrote these to capture the heart of the seven letters that we've just finished studying. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. Gracious God, we confess that we have gone our own way. These are rivals for our attention, affection, and worship. We have allowed these rivals to win our hearts. Father, Dwell in our hearts without rival. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, and in deed. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Merciful God, we confess our tendency towards hypocrisy. Pause and reflect. What is God saying to you as you read these words and say these words? prayer of forgiveness. Gracious God, we have confessed our sins and our failings. Gracious 
Grant us grace to grow in your likeness and your image. Amen. So I'm going to give you a few minutes, and my encouragement to you is to write your own prayer of confession and repentance. And here's what I want you to hear. God requires, God desires that our confession be specific. We want to say, God, forgive us all of our sins. But God says, no, Doug, you need to say, forgive me of my infidelity. He wants us to be specific in our confession so that it loses its grip on us. So I'm just going to give you a few minutes to write your own prayer. And here's what I want you to hear. No one is going to see this. When we're done, I'm going to ask you to bring them down and put them in this bucket, one of these buckets, and I am going to burn them today. And I'm going to pray over them as I pray for you this afternoon. But no one's going to read them. It's between you and God. Just write down what it is you want to confess and then a prayer of repentance. So just take a moment and do that. to break the strongholds that exist in this room. There's an invitation for wholeness. You can continue to write, but as you feel like you've finished writing what you want to write, I'm going to invite you to slip out of your seat, to come down, and to leave it in one of these buckets. Again, I'm going to burn these later today, so no one's going to read them. You can fold it in half again, wad it in a ball, whatever you want to do. But I just encourage you, as Evie sings, as they sing over us and to us, I just encourage you to come and leave it here. Leave it here.
Scriptures tell us that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. My encouragement to you is to walk in the freedom. That in Christ you are a new creation. There is no sin that has seized you. You have the victory. If God opens the door, if Jesus opens the door, no one can shut it. So my encouragement to you this morning, amen. When you walk through those doors, that you leave it here and don't pick it up again. Don't look back. My prayer this week has been that this would be a defining moment for this church and for each of you. That years from now, you'd say something happened in that service when we brought those sheets down and dropped them in those bags. Something shifted in me and I've been able to walk in victory and in intimacy with Jesus in a way that I never have before. 
Lord, would you allow what happened this morning not to be a ritual, not to be a cute thing that we did, but would you shift our hearts? Lord, I pray that the movement that you've done would be sealed, that people would leave through these doors and know that it's behind them. Thank you that you are a good, good father. Help us not to abuse your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. The group that prayed for you this morning before the service. But there are some in the room that need help to resist the spirit of fear, and I would say the spirit of temptation as well. There are some who just need to surrender their hearts to Jesus for the first time. We would love to walk through that with you down here. And someone is feeling the nudge from God to author a book. And we would love to pray that over you. So if that resonates with you, uh, we would love to pray for you. If you need something else, there's a couple numbers on the screen you can call to put you into a private Zoom room to be prayed for. Again, people can meet you down here. Encourage you maybe to slip out a little more quietly than normal. Some people are still writing. Some people want to still come down and leave there. So um, once you get to the lobby, you can get all ruckusy like you guys like to get. But thank you. Come back next week. Things shift in Revelations. If you've read ahead yet, you'll notice that we move from what God is doing around the churches to the throne room. What's going on in heaven? And it's going to have a whole different feel than what we've been in. So read ahead, read chapter four, come back next week as we continue our journey through Revelation. God bless you. Go in peace.